Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Bienvenidos, señores y señores, to another episode of the Bleed Laws Podcast. This episode of the Bleed Laws Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Ben Online is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA playoffs. Ben Online is your sports intel headquarters this season as we have you covered on all your insider sports wagering needs. From basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, golf, to UFC and boxing. It's the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your home. So get into the action today, head over to the website or use your mobile device to join and be sure to use our promo code believe B L E A V to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And joining us on the carne asada is one of our favorite columnists. The guy is just Killing it in the game. He is the Guillermo Shakespeare of the LA Times. Uh, he is the Puerto Rican Duke by way of Massachusetts. Jorge Castillo. Jorge, ¿cómo estás, amigo? Todo bien, gracias. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Always uh, good to be on with you. Uh, uh, Jorge, so you, I think you've been on a roll lately. You wrote three columns that I, I think are really good. So I want to spend the time talking to you about those columns. Um, with the uh, Red Sox, or as other people have called the Boston Dodgers, recently making a West Coast trip, it looks like you were able to spend some time with some former Dodgers. So I, I wanted to start off first with the the Justin Turner column uh, that you wrote. But I'm, I'm going to preface this by this, because you wrote this great line in the Kenley Jansen article that to me clearly defines what this is about. And I want to give you credit for it. The business of baseball has a way of snuffing out its romanticism. And that to me, it's such a great line. And it's to me, it's the it's the theme of everything that you wrote on these articles. So going back to Justin Turner, he you know, your article mentioned it. He was on the radio last year uh, after the end of the season, basically laying out, hey, I want to be the Dodger. I want to be a Dodger and basically putting it on the Dodgers lap. Right. But I got to ask you this. He said he wanted the deal done and he wanted to resign with the Dodgers and he had no clue what happened. Was he being naive there or is this just him covering himself? Uh, it's probably, you know, covering himself, to be honest. Um, it's uh, It came down to this. The Dodgers wanted to give him a one-year deal about what they gave J.D. Martinez. He wanted more and he got more. Uh, you know, he just came down to that and – we can get into why the Dodgers just wanted to give a one-year deal to a DH. Um, I think that has to do with their plans for this next winter. Um, you know, we can talk about that later on. But, um, yeah, I think Justin Turner wanted more than a one-year deal, um, knowing that this probably is the last contract of his career, right? If you go at this stage of your career, if you go one year, you know, one year at a time, there's no guaranteeing that by the time you finish that year, someone else is want to get, going to give you another good contract, right? You know, he's 38 years old, so – uh, the Dodgers wanted to give him a one-year deal. They did not really, like I said, the romantic, like the romanticism of this is, you know, Justin Turner is a Dodger. It's still weird to me. When I was at Fenway in that clubhouse, it was strange to me that he was there. It's strange to me that he's not on the Dodgers. Um, 
you know, he was embedded in this community. He was embedded on that team, fan favorite, nine years, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and I think in a perfect world where, where we kind of uh, stick to, you know, that guy should be a Dodger, just like Derek Jeter should be. You know, I'm not comparing Justin Turner to Derek Jeter, but, you know, Derek Jeter's a Yankee, and, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, Aaron Judge is now a Yankee for the rest of his career. Uh, I think I think that's a great – I think it's great as a fan, right? When you grow up, you know, kid, there are – there are guys that you idolize and guys you want to play like, and I wear his number and I play his position and all that stuff. And I think there's probably thousands of kids, you know, in, in this area, in this region that think about Justin Turner in that way. And, but you know, the Dodgers are in the business to win. Um, they thought they made the calculations. They look at their projections at the computer, their models, they saw with their eyes, maybe, Hey, Justin Turner's bats getting a little slower. We'd rather have a JD Martinez. Who's, you know, a little younger, but, you know, had the same question marks going down the stretch last year. Uh, you know, we'd rather have him, have him at one year and $10 million than giving uh, Justin Turner a two-year deal. So that's basically what it came down to, right? You would hope that, I think, um, ideally, that uh, Justin Turner would have been a, a Dodger for the rest of his career. I think he obviously wanted to do that. I think the Dodgers would have preferred that. But, you know, they uh, they decided the, the best way to construct this team this year was to have uh, J.D. Martinez. So is the timing right? In your article, you mentioned that basically the next day he decided to go with Boston. So obviously the Red Sox were talking to him, right? So he was trying to draw out the clock then to try to going on the radio basically was trying to apply pressure to the Dodgers, right? Yeah, I'm sure. You know, just get it out there that I want to be a Dodger. I'm a fan. He knows he's a fan. He knows where he stands, right? So just, uh, you know, you go out there and you say, hey, I want to be a Dodger. This isn't about me not wanting to come back. Uh, and we actually drew, like, think about his last free agency. He didn't sign until, like, a few days before spring training. I think it was a yeah. two-year deal or something like that. Um, so, you know, th- this had been drawn out before. Um, obviously, he was younger. The Dodgers were at, like, a different stage in terms of, like, uh, you know, their construction of the team and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, but you obviously, as a free agent, he said it to me. You know, I'm thir- I'm 38 years old. I had to start talking to the other teams. I can't just wait. You know, uh, there's only so many jobs out there. It's like musical chairs. You gotta you, you gotta go sit somewhere. You know, if not, you're you're gonna be left out. So you know, he was talking to the other teams. Kike obviously was recruiting him, and it became this whole thing where a bunch of people started recruiting him. The whole Boston, you know, sports community came in and sort of started recruiting him. And then Kenley signs with them, and and then you know Turner follows and. Um, you know, I think that's smart. It's due diligence. It's, you know, you're, it's like, think about it, you know, you, you can't wait for a job offer in any field, right? You can't just wait, wait, wait. And then you're like, oh, wait, well, now no one else wants me. You know, you have to uh, take the job when you can. And it was at Chris Taylor's wedding when he saw that J.D. Martinez signed with the Dodgers. And the next day he was, uh, you know, a member of the Boston Red Sox. I, I gotta ask you this because I know he's uh, he's um, he's a paisano of yours, but is Kike Hernandez becoming a villain now? Because I think he's the one who destroyed Cody Bellinger's career with the celebration, and now he's recruiting guys to leave the Dodgers. I, I, I thought it was great. Again, check out this piece; it, it's a wonderful insight there. I mean, it was no joke. I mean, it, it was on purpose, right? Hey, Kike, call Turner. I mean, the minute the Red Sox probably heard Turner on the radio, right? Or probably before then, right? It's less like, Geeky, we need you to recruit Turner. Yeah, you know, and I talked to High and Bloom for the story too, and they they were in the they were looking for a DH who could play some first base, and JD Martinez didn't do that, so that's why like the swap became kind of a it was kind of a swap, right? It was a yeah. swap. Um, Justin Turner's playing a lot of first base for the, for the Red Sox. Uh, JD Martinez did not play does not play first base. 
So that's basically what they wanted. They were in the market for, and Justin Turner kind of fits the bill, right? He's a right-handed hitter. They wanted a right-handed hitter who can play some first base. Professional. He's batting, you know, second, third for him. He's he's, he's up there in the batting order. A professional at bat, as they say, right? A guy who who's always going to produce. He's producing still again. He's 38 and he's still producing. So that's what they were in the market for, right? So yeah, you 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 kind of, if you want the guy, you put a little full, full court press on him. He wasn't, the Red Sox weren't the only team out there. I think he had four offers. Um, you know, the Marlins were in on him. So um, yeah, you know, you, you, you get Kike to start recruiting and you get Trevor Story to recruit and hey, Bill Belichick, can you send him a text? Sure. You know, I can do that for you. And Jason Veritek and Dustin Pejoria and all that stuff. So I'm sure it's flattering, right? No matter what you've done in your career, to have all these people come out and uh, reach out to you and try to uh, to tell you, hey, we, we would love to have you. Um, and it worked. And, you know, it, there are worse places to be than playing for the Boston Red Sox. You know, it's a storied franchise. And, um, you know, they're not necessarily going to, you know, going into the season, they weren't World Series contenders like, you know, they have often been. But uh, so far, they're, I think, they're probably playing a little better than people expected. So, Jorge, if... If the Dodgers didn't have Federico at first, is there a chance then that Justin Turner still is a Dodger and that the Dodgers yeah. are doing what the Red Sox are doing and they'll move Justin Turner over to first? Sure. Um, now, if they didn't have Freddie Freeman, if they didn't sign Freddie Freeman, you know, uh, last year, they maybe they trade for Juan Soto. Like, I don't know. It's like a, that's a whole, like, domino effect of, like, yeah. what possibilities are and maybe – yeah, maybe he is playing first base for him, or maybe they get somebody else to play first base. You know, yeah, but sure. I guess in a vacuum, if Freddie Freeman wasn't around, I think Justin Turner does make more sense um, to play some first base. Uh, you know, or yeah, Max Muncy at first base and Miguel Vargas at third, and then somebody else at second. Right? It's just a whole uh, kind of like a domino effect. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I think I think just circumstances. Uh, the Dodgers. Um, they, there's a certain guy who's going to be a free agent next winter who, you know, pitches and does some DH on the side. And, you know, if you're going to be in that market, you do not want to tie up that position for next year. And that's, I think that's what it comes down to. You know, I, I don't, I don't think two years, $21 million is really the issue, um, for the Dodgers. They can pay it. Um, you know, uh, Mark, you know, with the, the owner of the team, it's from blanking on his name. Um, Walters, Mark Walters. Yeah. Mark. Yeah. There he is him. He's putting eight-figure uh, investments in squash right now. They have money. <laughs> you know, there, there's no issue with the money. Um, it's a matter of Shohei Otani's a free agent next year, and he's a DH when um, he's not pitching. So why would you tie up that position? You know, it's it's interesting that you because two year in the in your article you mentioned two years ago it was kind of the same situation, right? I think Justin Turner wanted more years, and it, they ended up with that two year deal. And you mentioned earlier, and I think this is what the heart of your article is about, in that is taking the emotion out of this and making a strictly a baseball decision. And correct me if I'm wrong, Jorge, but I don't think the Dodgers make bad deals. I feel like the Dodgers make the deal that's best for them and they really don't care about the player. And that's where the fans I think need to realize it's like, do you want to win? What is more important to you to win or to keep these guys? And then later on, you're going to bitch and moan to the team that you guys aren't do making the right decisions. I, I mean, when it happened two years ago with Justin Turner, was it just that the Dodgers were ahead of this and they knew, Hey, look, this is what's coming. Your numbers aren't what they were before. And we're not going to pay. We're not going to overpay for you. Yeah. I mean, the Dodgers, it's been proven the last decade with Andrew Friedman, 11, you know, nine years, I think it is with him now, where it's going to be nine years. They win 
deals more often than they lose. You know, they lost on deals. Um, there's no doubt about it. They often win, though. They win trades. They win, you know, Freddie Freeman on that contract. That's a, you know, that's an amazing contract for a guy who's yeah. producing the way he's producing. And he fell on, on their lap, just like Mookie Betts fell on their laps. You know, that trade, you know, first of all, let's do the trade with the Reds. That led to that trade. You trade yeah. Puig and Kent um, for two prospects, uh, one, of, one of whom is shipped, shipped out in that, that Mookie Betts trade. Another guy, Josiah Gray, who helps you get Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. Um, you know, these guys, they win deals. But you're right. You know, if you're a fan, you're like, no, but I like that guy. You know, yeah. I like Cody. Cody was Cody was hitting 180 all last year, and he got the loudest cheers at Dodger Stadium. Besides, like, <laughs> Julio and Clayton. Like, it doesn't, you know, people like him, you know? And at the end of the day, this is entertainment, right? So, like, if we like a guy, like, oh, why Why is my main character, one of the main characters in this, like, play that I'm watching, this movie, story, whatever, he's not there anymore. That kind of sucks. But people are going to keep going to the play, to the movie, if it's keeps if it's if it's good they're gonna go to the sequel if it's good again you know like they're gonna keep going and the dodgers know that you know so the best way to keep fans coming is to win so um and the dodgers are winning again you know they're going into the season you know it was are the dodgers going to be as good as the padres and um yeah well they're way better at least you know as of saturday may 27th they're they're a really good team again so um it's been it's a proven track record they 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 win they make good decisions um not you know they're not perfect by any means they make mistakes, but in this case, again, like you can't, when they make this decision, you can't fault them. You got to be like, all right, well, there's a reason why they're doing it. And you have to look at the, the history and you'd be like, all right, they're probably making the right decision. Right. Or, or at least a, a, not a terrible one. So I, I'm curious if you got a chance to talk to him about this, but right after it was announced that he was signing with the Red Sox, he got asked about the Alex Cora situation. And this goes back to the 2017 World Series. Uh, recently, uh, uh, Correa came to Dodger Stadium and the boos were heard uh, very loudly and frequently. Obviously, Dodger fan has not forgotten about this. But it seems like the players are able to put this behind them because there's a few uh, Dodger players from that 2017 team playing for Cora. So if the players are putting this behind them, I mean, shouldn't the fans put it behind them? I mean, were you able to ask him how he dealt with that Cora situation? Do we know for a fact that they had a conversation about what happened in the 2017 World Series? So I actually did not talk to him about that specifically, but he did go out his way to say that, you know, Alex Cora like recruited him and, he likes playing for him. And Kenley was really, really um, went out of his way to, to say how, how he loves playing for Alex Cora. Uh, he's a great manager, players guy. Um, so based on that, again, like I didn't ask that, that specifically. I was more caught up in the, the Dodgers stuff. And um, it does seem like they don't really, you know, care as much as they, at least they used to. Right. Uh, yeah. Maybe, the, you know, the conversations were had, and, you know, I'm sure you have, you have to have that conversation when you're going to go work for somebody, right. You're like, Hey, um, I'm, I'm going to go play for you. We, I mean, Kenley still thinks Ken, Kenley made the joke. I was talking to him. I was like, yeah, you guys, you know, you guys won a world series. He's like, well, we should have won too. You know? <laughs> so it's still on his, you know, on his brain, right. The idea that they, they feel cheated. Um, yeah. but he's also playing for a guy who at the end of the day, was one of the fall guys. You can call him the scapegoat, but you want, I think people are on the Brown baseball kind of view it. Like, Hey, they're blaming everything on score and Carlos Beltran. There wasn't nobody else involved. Is at least yeah. the only two guys. Um, so 
there, there's probably some of that sentiment as well. Like they weren't the only guys who, you know, they were, they were the fall guys, the scapegoats, I guess, in a way, but they still cheated. And I'm sure the conversations were had and, you know, the opportunity to play for the Boston Red Sox and, and play for Cora, who by all means across baseball, people seem to really like the guy. Um, so um, I think they were able to put it behind him. Now, as for, as for the fan thing, I mean, part of being a fan is kind of like, there's like a rational stuff, you know, you just think certain <laughs> things and you, you know, uh, have strong opinions and um, it's kind of like just how it is, right? It's, this is all, it's part of like the whole dynamic of being a fan and having a team and so on and so forth. And I think that's what makes this stuff a little more fun, right? The, the certain fans hate certain players or not hate or dislike them teams and all that stuff. So um, you would think, you know, it's been five years. I, I think the thing with Correa that really – Correa is a little different because he was so outspoken after yeah. it happened that I think he kind of, you know, he put a bullseye on himself, um, a target on his own back, right? So whereas the other guys who were in it, you know, I don't know, do you really care about – I mean, Altuve still gets booed, but I don't know, whatever. Like, I just feel like – I feel like Correa was, the, was like the face of it. He became the face of it voluntarily. And yeah. I think that's why the – the sort of the, the hate is still, uh, still there. So strong, um, you know, five, six years later. I, I want to ask you one last thing on Justin Turner. You know, when he left, everybody was like the Dodgers, they're losing a leader. They're, they're losing a leader. And I think everybody looks at it. Now this is Mookie and Federico's team. And those guys aren't like, you don't see it on them as being leaders. But I want to ask you this, the influence that Justin Turner maybe might've had on a guy like Will Smith because after what happened in Atlanta between him and Osuna, I feel like Will Smith's a small, a soft-spoken guy. But I think Will Smith has become a leader in that same vein as Turner in the sense that it's his play and what he does on the field. That's leadership. Am I wrong there? Yeah, I mean, he's also a catcher, right? So the idea of he's kind of involved in every play and he's becoming a star. He has, he's one of, probably one of the best players in baseball who hasn't been an all-star, right? He probably should be an all-star here if he stays healthy. Um, you know, guys have to step into that vacuum. Obviously, Mookie and Freddie are different kinds of leaders. Um, you know, Mookie's not the most outspoken. I don't think Freddie is either, right? Um, Kershaw talked about maybe being more of a leader now. Is It's kind of weird as a starting pitcher. You know, you only play every five days, but, you know, guys have to step into that, you know, into that boy. And Will Smith is a you know, a good candidate. He's soft-spoken, but he's really good. And um, he's been around for a bit here. When you think about it, he's one of the longest tenured Dodger, Dodgers, which is kind of strange to think about. He feels, feels like he just came up yesterday. But, um, yeah, someone has to step into that void. And now that's like the whole, like, leadership. I find the word, you know, I find the whole idea of leadership very like, fascinating in, like, any aspect. Like, what is a leader in anything? Um, you know, in baseball versus another sport versus another field, industry, whatever, like, there are different ways to, to be a leader. You know, there's examples, there's kind of being the rah-rah guy. There's like, you know, taking guys, um, you know, maybe mentoring a couple guys or one guy strongly. And, um, you know, there's different ways of doing it. And the Dodgers right now, it, I think it's 10 games over 500. They're doing just fine as of right now, right, uh, with the leadership and everything else. So um, I think over time, guys will step in, step up, and uh, they'll, they'll figure it out. I want to move over to Kenley Jansen because I, I, I found you had a lot of good tidbits on that piece with Kenley Jansen. And so Kenley recently joined the 400 Save Club and a newest member and favorite punching bag of former Dodger fans, Craig Kimbrell, just joined. So now there are eight guys before it was seven. And I think it was what half of those guys are in the Hall of Fame. 
Uh, so I got to ask you this. Uh, the argument, now that he's in that club, when there's a club that there's less than double digits in it, does this, I mean, is he a Hall of Famer? Yeah, that's a fascinating question. I don't know the answer, to be honest. I, the There's one guy right now, Billy Wagner, who mm-hmm. is getting some love for, for Hall of Fame. It'd be interesting to see if he gets in. Now, if he gets in, then I think we see these other guys you know, there's more of an argument for him. Um, Kenley Jansen, like, there's different ways to look at a career, right? There's peak longevity. Um, Kenley Jansen's peak was, he was the best reliever in baseball for two years there, right? At least two years, if not more. But those two years were, he was so dominant. Um, then he has the longevity aspect of it. He's still a closer at 35 years old, 400 saves, 401, I think it is now. Um, the it on his third team. Um, it's it's going to be fascinating because I think we're seeing now uh, with starting pitchers, the wins don't matter as much. Um, and I, you know, I think we're seeing now that the closer is kind of not the same as it used to be maybe 10, 20 years ago, the idea of a closer. Uh, the Dodgers, for example, don't have a closer. Um, they don't think it's like a, oh, yeah, you need to be the closer type of thing. Um, so I, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see over the next five, 10 years when Kenley goes on the ballot after he retires, uh, what we think about closers and what we think about the save. Um, it's going to be fascinating. But if closers are going to get into the Hall of Fame, if we're going to have Billy Wagner in there, then I think you need to have Kenley Jensen in there, right? It's the he, He's one of the best to ever do it. Um, and obviously Mariano Rivera and Trevor Hoffman, I think they're in a class of their own. So it's like this next sort of tier. Are they – do we find them – to be Hall of Fame worthy. I, I think that's going to be interesting. I think Billy, Billy Wagner is a good test case for that. Yeah, that's the name that always seems to come up of that list of those eight guys on there, which I feel like, hey, man, John Franco was pretty good in his day, and I feel like he gets, like, no love anymore. Uh, but Billy Wagner is the one that constantly, of that list, if you're going to put one in, it's Billy Wagner. So I, I am curious. I loved your piece in the fact that uh, – you disclosed that, you know, Justin Turner had presented Kenley Jansen a video and a lot of former Dodgers were in that video congr- congratulating him with his 400 save. It makes me think of, I, I hear Charles Barkley always bitch and moan about uh, these guys are too friendly with each other because, you know, back in the 80s, everybody was a mortal enemy. Like everybody forgets the fact that Magic and Isaiah kissed on half court. I mean, this whole idea of, even though we're not on the same team, we can still root for each other. That should not be that controversial of a topic, right? Uh, no, not at all. I mean, Kenley Jansen was minorly teammates with Kelly. I mean, these guys, like, it's one thing to uh, work with someone. Like, it's hard to relate to this, right? We work with people, and we become close with coworkers. These guys, li- like, basically live with each other. It's like eight months of, like, just being constantly, constantly around each other. I, in this sport more than any other you know it's constant road trips it's spring training it's you know the playoffs it's like these guys are around each other all the time so it's only you know it's it's only natural that these guys become close now if you like them now there are a lot of guys that don't like each other it's not pretend or don't care for each other or different um but Kenley Jansen is a guy who I think was really really liked you know he's a nice guy he's a really nice guy and I think it was shown in that video guys a lot of a lot of people came out and spoke for him and spoke to him and uh, through that video um, and Clay and Kershaw, they, their relationship goes back now. I think it's like 16, 17 years, whatever it is. So it, it's a long time. It's, I don't see anything wrong with it. I um, mean, Austin Barge in that video, he was just catching for a long time. And, um, 
I think it's cool to see. It just shows you the human side of this. You know, it's a, a part that a lot of people don't don't see is these guys um, are constantly around each other. Um, they're they're friends. They become friends. You kind of have to become friends. It's not. It's going to be kind of a miserable experience. <laughs> so. Uh, I, th- I thought it was cool to see that whole video. He had family from like Curacao, was, um, you know, Andrew Jones is in the video, different teammates, Russell Martin, Eric Gagne was in it. So it was, it, it was cool to see. And um, it just shows you the connection. And that, that that's really what the kind of, when I saw that video, I was like, yeah, there's still a connection there. He's always going to be a dog. He can finish with the Red Sox and do this and that. With, he can win a World Series this year or next year. Um, but Los Angeles, right, is it's still home for him. He, his family's here. He lives here year round. This is always going to be home for him. Even if he doesn't wear a daughter uniform again. And in 15, 20 years, 10, 15, 20 years, we're going to see him at daughter stadium when he's like, Oh, well, everybody welcome Kenley Jansen. He's going to be there and everyone's going to go crazy. And then they're going to forget the times that he blew the saves and they don't look great and blah, blah, blah. It's just, that's just how it works. And, and then I give you your kudos, man, as a writer, because you had mentioned the human side, and I think that's what your pieces did here with Justin Turner. It, it humanized Justin Turner in the sense that that's what he wanted. He wanted to stay with the Dodgers, but reality is something different. And with Kenley Jansen, I thought you did a wonderful job of humanizing him too because how how accurate or how close was a possible reunion with the Dodgers after that season in Atlanta? Was there an actual uh, chance that he would resign with them? No, 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 zero, zero percent chance. And I think he knew that. So uh, I think whereas last year, and I, I went to, I, I mean, the day he signed with the Braves, I flew to, the day after I flew to Florida to go talk to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there was a sense of shell shock still, like the fact that he wasn't going to be a Dodger and it's only natural, you know. And he was talking about how great it was to be a Brave because he grew up, you know, watching the Braves on, on television and Andrew Jones is one of the, you know, first star from um, Curacao to, to play. And Ozzy Albies was on the team. Another guy from Curacao, like, but it's still, it's like, you can, you know, just, he probably, he preferred to be a Dodger. He preferred that. That's where, that's where his comfort zone was. Now I think this year I'm talking to him. I think he's at peace with the fact he's not going to play for the Dodgers again. And I think he knew that going into the off season. He said it. He's like, I went into this off season neutral. Like I, whatever, whatever, best offer, best team, blah, blah, blah. And the Dodgers, I remember asking Andrew Fried, I think it was, I remember asking somebody um, if there was a chance that Kenley would come back and it just was probably, it was just zero. It, just, it wasn't going to happen. I, they, they went into the offseason like saying, we don't need a closer. Um, they came out of the, you know, out of the offseason without a closer, out of spring training without a closer. They don't really have one now. So it just, it was never a priority for him. Um, and, it, you know, I think Kenley was comfortable with it. Not, I don't know, he, he came to terms with it. Um, and it was it was never going to happen. Now last year I thought, hey, you know, it's a one year deal. Kenley, if he still has it, maybe he comes back. Um, but yeah, that was, that didn't happen. You know, you mentioned when he came back that first season with the Braves, uh, there were a, a mixed reaction. I, I felt in the stadium there there was a spattering of of booze, and I feel you you mentioned it. I think a lot of people think of those blown saves, think of his performance in the twenty twenty. Uh, World Series. Did the Dodgers I, in your article they mentioned something about the mental lapses? Is that was that a real narrative, or is that something the Dodgers wanted to put out there to justify their reasons for moving on from him? No, I, I just I think their reasoning for moving on from him was uh, they didn't want to pay that much for a closer, um, or at least give him the years 
And also last year, getting I don't want to go with like the weeds here, but there was some timing issues there. I think they wanted Kenley back, and they ended up with with Kimbrel, who was around the same price. But you know, it was just a timing thing um, going on with the Freddie Freeman situation. It was just kind of a lot going on. So, you know, mental. La- I think he just had yeah, he had lapses. There were there were times where he was throwing ninety one. There were other times he was throwing ninety five. It was just start to start. It was mostly just. Everyone said it, the Dodgers and himself, you know, a lot of like mechanical issues. Like sometimes he just wasn't synced up. It's like a thing that was talked about a lot. And he talked about it actually when I was in Boston. Um, he had blown a couple saves there and he just didn't look the same. I mean, the night he threw, the night he got his 400 save, he was throwing 99 miles an hour, uh, which I don't think anyone's ever seen. So um, he still has it. Now, you know, I, I just think it's a matter of, you know, the Dodgers want, I don't think there's any of that going on. I think it's just a matter of, uh, he had his, his lapses. I think it's, it was obvious. There were times there in, I mean, 2020, he didn't close out the World Series. Um, there was the time in 2019 against the Nationals, he wasn't on the mound. Joe Kelly was on the mound and gave up the Grand Slam. Like, they just, the Dodgers had their times where they just didn't trust him. Um, so, uh, yeah, it just, it just, but at, at the end of the day, you know, people booing Kenley Jansen or anyone who's been around, you know, for 10, 12 years with your, with your favorite team and was part of a team that won a world series and went to a couple of others and, you know, had so much success. I think it's kind of strange um, to do a guy like that who wanted to come back who still lives here. Um, and during the off season, I, I mean, fans are fans though, right? We are just talking about, you know, rational you can get and all that, but a guy who's never said anything bad, you know, really about, about anyone. Um, so I find that to be kind of strange, but um, the Dodgers, the Red Sox won't be coming here. The Dodgers will be going there for Mookie Betts' return. So that'll be another another thing. But it, it, it would be interesting to see next time Kenley comes back if it's a little different. Uh, that sequence, by the way, when you were describing him getting uh, hitting 99, uh, that, that's just great writing, man. It, it really put me there. I felt like I was in that game, especially the back and forth between Kika and Justin. So kudos to you on that. Um, one last thing on Jansen, which I, I thought was really interesting in your article in the sense that he was never viewed as a leader with the Dodgers, but with the Bravos and Las Medias Rojas, he was viewed with a leader. Is that Was that just an age thing that now, or is it because he went to a new team that people looked at him differently? And at, at, like you mentioned with the Dodgers, the Dodgers just seemed to look at Jansen one way and it never changed. This is who Jansen is. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, both sides. I think Kenley in this setting viewed himself as a certain, you know, in a certain way. I'm Kenley Jansen. Like I came up as a kid and I'm viewed this, in this way. I, you know, he didn't mention by the end of this time, he was like mentoring a couple of guys, Victor Gonzalez, uh, Bruce Agraderall and stuff like that. But like when you're, when you come up and grow up in a certain, in a setting, maybe like you don't think about like, Hey, actually I can take the next step here and be a leader. You know, it doesn't maybe happen. Whereas you go to a different place and people are seeing you from a distance. You're like, oh, this is one of the best coaches ever. I'm going to learn from him. So I'm going to, you know, random reliever is going to go up to you and ask you things. Um, and with the Red Sox, you know, High and Bloom mentioned it. Alex Cora mentioned it. He's really become a leader type, not just with relievers, but the clubhouse in general. And when I was in that room in the clubhouse, obviously we want to get like 45 minutes an hour in there in the media. So it's not like I'm being, you know, I have a huge like uh, inside sort of look into this, but it did seem he had a presence in there. He was like the loudest one and, you know, in a good way, he wasn't like obnoxious or anything. Um, you know, he was joking with uh, uh, Devers about, you know, the Lakers series and, um, you know, joking about different things about the, you know, Champions League. And he had a presence in there. Uh, whereas with the Dodgers, he had a presence, but it wasn't quite the same. He was, it was more prominent, I think, with the, with, in Fenway. Um, and I think it's just a matter of coming to your own, having confidence 
And then realizing that other people see you in a certain way when you go to different places, um, when you're around different guys, younger guys, especially, right? Like, oh, you're, you're Kenley Jansen. I remember I, I saw you when I was, you know, in high school or whatever, um, when I was younger, um, you were doing amazing stuff and I want to learn from you. So I, I think it's just a matter of, you know, maturation and growing and then change of setting. You know, you had mentioned it. Uh, I definitely, when Justin Turner comes back, he's always going to, 10 years from now, whatever, he's always going to be viewed as a Dodger. If Kenley gets into the Hall of Fame, he's probably going in as a Dodger. They're going to retire that 74 up there. And I think people will view Kenley in a much nicer way and be like, of course, he's always been a Dodger. For the most part, I think the Dodgers are pretty good in in accepting this, uh, their fraternity, so to speak, of, of former players. You wrote a piece on one of them who was just recently honored by being inducted into the Legends of, of Dodger Baseball, Manny Moda. Uh, you guys should read the piece alone just for the mango tree story. Uh, again, Jorge, that, that's just great writing. Uh, I have to ask you this, even though... He's been with the organization for so long, and he, they're putting him in the le- they put him in the Legends of Baseball. I still feel like the Dodgers have taken that dude for granted, and at some point have exploited him. But I'm sure you can say that about many former Dodger players. A- am I wrong? There has Manny Mota really give gotten his due? I don't know. I, I probably not. Um, I think this gesture was great uh, to get hit, you know, to get him recognized and. Uh, one thing that sticks out to me, you know, I've been here in Los Angeles now going on five years is uh, when I got here, you know, still exists to today, right? The history of the team is it's significant. Uh, it's a big part of the Dodger brand. Um, you know, you see there's lots of names, lots of people who come around and all that. But over the last, you know, five years, the Dodgers have lost a lot of people. You know, it's Ben Scully, it's Tom Lasorda, it's Don Newcomb, it's Maury Wills, it's Don Sutton. A lot of guys, a lot of history, like connections to – the original teams here in Los Angeles, connections to that history, connections to Jackie Robinson. Um, and in Manny Mota, it's, he's one of the guys still around, you know, one of those people still around who is a connection back to that to that time. Um, you know, Manny Mota, he told me, you know, he met, you know, Jackie Robinson was his favorite player for obvious reasons, right? Uh, as a black Latino guy who broke the cover uh, color ba- uh, barrier, Jackie Robinson. Um, but he mentioned like meeting him when he, you know, uh, when he was a player. And then also the thing that stuck, like, it's not a Dodger. It's actually kind of a Dodger thing. Uh, Roberto Clemente was a Dodger when, in the organization yeah. once upon a time. Um, that connection, like, he was a good, good friend of Roberto Clemente. Roberto Clemente went to his house in the DR often during the offseason. Um, they were, like, tight. They were, like, best of friends. He called him a brother. And that, to me, is just, as a guy, I mean, I was, uh, I'm, I'm really into history. Like, that's, that's cool. That's just, it's uh, pretty amazing, you know, having that connection to the past. And Manny Mota has that. He's beloved by a lot of people in different circles here in Los Angeles to all the way to the Dominican Republic. He is a legend down there as well. Um, his his time in the winter league down there with Lise, um, one of the you know best uh, teams, you know, franchises in that league and Dominican winter league. So it's just like, he has just a fascinating uh, life, uh, you know, um, over the decades and yeah maybe he doesn't get his due um you know he wasn't the the player that a you know that you know some of these other like legends are you know he was never an all-star he was really never really an everyday player here in los angeles right he was a pinch hitter extraordinary right a great pinch hitter yeah. um but i you know i think 
he's uh he's a connection to the past and i think it's you know it's good it's timely it was it was good that the dodgers are great the dodgers really recognize him this year um because he's one of the few guys still with us who who kind of is that connection to the past and he you know and his son's around now jose um with the dodgers the last couple of years after spending so much time with the angels another guy talking to him he was in the dodger clubhouse with his brothers in the 80s you know 70s and 80s and so it's really cool to have that connection to the history. I'm, I'm really into that stuff. Um, I think it's important. I think it's one of the best. That's what makes baseball a little different than the other sports. Um, you know, is the history. Sometimes we get caught up a little, little bit too much in history, right? That's why we, we don't, baseball maybe doesn't progress at the speed that maybe a lot of people necessarily want it to. But that history is what is what makes baseball so, uh, you know, it makes it a little different. Um, and it's just cool to have someone like that still around. And talking to him, I talked to him for like a couple hours. Um, it was, it was, it was fun just to talk to him. You know, we just recently had Dave Stewart on the, on the show and he shared a story with us that when he was playing winter ball over in Lisey, he stayed with Manny Moda and that Manny Moda basically treated him like, like a son. And he told us the nickname he had was Papa. Everybody called him, you know, Papa. And everybody I know who runs across Manny Mota just has the same stories that the guy was just so kind to me. And it's just really interesting to me because your your article mentioned it. And I don't think this subject is talked about enough. And I mean, you're a history buff, but the seg- the dealing with segregation in the South, in the minors, we with a for an Afro Latino, I don't know if we've heard that story enough. Like we we hear it obviously with African Americans and what they had to go through, but what the Afro Latino had to go through. I, do you have any more stories about that? Uh, well, I think um, obviously Clemente is the most prominent, maybe Afro Latino um, of, of that time, at least. Yeah. Uh, there have been lots of Afro Latinos who come through, done great things in baseball, and um, I mean Clemente is you know so famous and revered nowadays. Um, there is a story of. If I recall correctly, I actually wrote this a few uh, years ago for Clemente, uh, Roberto Clemente. They, there was a story um, where, you know, he was with the Pittsburgh Pirates, obviously, and they were somewhere in the South and they wouldn't be, they weren't like getting served or they weren't allowed in the restaurant. And th- there was something along the lines of like, he stood up, I don't know, he just basically stood up for himself and he talked about it, uh, Clemente. He talked about being black in the U.S. and there is racism everywhere. There's racism in Latin America. There's racism in the DR and Puerto Rico everywhere. But, you know, I think at that, I think uh, it was a little different when you get here. You're not allowed in like certain restaurants. Um, that's a, a, it's just different. Um, and Manny Mota talked, uh, Jose Mota told me a couple of stories. He really, he relayed a couple of stories to me about his dad and, um, you know, how they had one day, like they weren't allowed in a restaurant. So they had to eat like, a trailer um, when he was in the minor leagues and, stuff like that and it's just yeah another layer to to this you know we kind of i think people just kind of like oh he's latino well well he was right. you know a black latino you know like when he's walking down the street he doesn't he's not like oh he's dominican no he's he's a black guy um you know that's just the way it is and um he, yeah there's a, definitely a layer there like clemente really was outspoken about that and obviously when you're when you're black and then you don't speak the language, you know, it's, mm-hmm. or you're not as comfortable in the language, uh, that adds uh, more difficulties to the situation. Um, and these guys, you know, just they dealt with a lot. Uh, you know, Manny Motors of the world and and Orlando Cepeda and Tony Perez and Roberto Clemente, like guys who you know Afro Latinos who came up uh, during that time, for sure. 
I mean, you mentioned it already in your piece. Uh, this guy, Manny Mota, was a lifetime 304 hitter, and the majority of the time he was doing it pinch hitting. And that, to me, is just a crazy stat uh, to be a career 304 hitter just pinch hitting. The humanitarian work that he does, he still does. That Do you think that was an influence of Clemente, or that's who Manny Mota was? Uh, probably both, right? The idea that you become so close to someone who loses his life helping. But I think Manny Mota was always sort of, even before that, um, was so kind um, in talking to him. It seemed like he always had a good head on his shoulders based talking to other people, um, the way he's helped. I mean, it's one thing to help, like, have a foundation and, and help kids. And, but the way he helps, like, Dodgers, when they come to, the you know, go to the DR and play for Lise, like you mentioned, Dave Stewart, he did with a bunch of other guys. Uh, he made sure he took care of them. Um, that's stuff that's not like, taught, you know, you don't see that stuff. It's not a, you know, it's, um, you don't have to do that. I think he's always just kind of been like that. And someone who grew up poor, single mother, um, someone who would sell stuff, you know, was a street vendor. That's how his foundation started. Uh, he would just help kids in the neighborhood who were selling stuff and literally just give them food. And from there, it kind of evolved and evolved and, it wasn't really an official organization, I think, till 1991 or something. It was just him gathering equipment, you know, clothes from teammates or gloves, whatever, and sending it down to the DR um, for kids down there. Um, just, just you know, he's someone who always had other people in mind. Um, he's very proud to be Dominican. I think he has Dominicans in mind, uh, which is it's funny because um, being out here in Los Angeles, you know, as Puerto Rican, it's it's very different. It's a different yeah. world out here. Um, yeah. And he kind of, that's another fascinating aspect of it. Um, he's very much a Los Angeles person, but also very much a Dominican. You don't see a lot of Dominicans out here, but he never forget where he, never forgot where he came from. Um, and he made, you know, the DR his home during the off season, all those years playing down there managing down there and, and helping down there. And I think that's huge. He's, when you think about it, he's one of the first like prominent Dominican baseball players. There've been a lot over the years that were, there were prominent guys before him. And he had a lot of contemporaries, the Alou brothers and, Marischal and all that but he was part of that wave you know like now we kind of take it for granted Dominicans play baseball but back right. then it wasn't like they were everywhere you know playing baseball so he uh he was part of that movement he you know in and making baseball down there um I wouldn't say he like made it like a uh, you know important but he was part of that movement that really um popularized the game and and uh, made it more accessible to, to, to people down there you know, uh, he is the author of one of my favorite quotes, uh, Manny Moda. When you describe why nothing in baseball makes sense, uh, he, and this quote is much better in Spanish than it is in English, but he goes, El baseball es raro, porque viene, es una bola redonda, pero viene en una caja cuadrada. And if you don't, the loose translation is baseball is very strange. It's a round ball that comes in a square box. And I think that perfectly defines uh, what baseball is. Um, now, Jorge, I want to thank you for your time. I just want to leave you with this because I want to get your opinion on this. Um, Bad Bunny taking those bumps in the WWE on that pay-per-view in Puerto Rico. I don't know if you saw that, but how did his how did his people allow him to do that? I mean, the dude went through a table. <laughs> I mean, I definitely saw it. I mean, I, I think everybody who. Uh... I think every Latino at this point in the world has, has seen footage of that. My parents were, I was, I think I was, my parents were sending me stuff and all that. Um, yeah. Um, 
I'm sure because he wants to do it. He's uh, he, he's the guy, you know, if he wants to do something, he wants to do it. It seems like he's a huge wrestling fan. So um, that was cool to see. I was with actually some friends, my wife. Um, we didn't watch it live. We went back to watch it on YouTube and, you know, the entrance and all that um, was awesome. You know, as a Puerto Rican, it's like it's that was pretty cool um, to see all the flags and stuff. And then he comes into his own song. But that was cool to see. You know, the guy's everywhere. Um, <laughs> he has an agency now in baseball. He's the Met Gala. He's, you know, he's at F1 event in Monaco, I think. Monaco, whatever how you say it, Monaco. Um, the yeah. other day, a couple of days ago. Um, yeah, he's kind of everywhere. He's in movies. He's That guy is everywhere. But it was cool to see. And Damian Priest, man. Shout out to that guy. Because, you know, <laughs> he's Puerto Rican too. And he, 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 like, he lost. And, he, you know, he, he took that like a champ, man. Like, you know, obviously he trains with, uh, I was reading up that he trained, he trained, helped train Bad Bunny for that event. Um, so shout out to that guy, you know, like it must suck, like, you know, having to take the L and, you know, be the villain and all that stuff. So that was, that, that was a cool event. That was a cool. Event. I saw like broke like viewership records, but, you know, backlash yeah. and whatever. And I used to be a wrestling buff, man. I fell off. Like my dad made me stop watching wrestling when I was 11, but you got a little <laughs> crazy with it. So um, I used to be a huge wrestling guy, but uh, it's cool to see. Um, it's cool to see WWE down there. Who who were your kid? Uh, who were your favorites when you were oh, eleven man, years just, old watching wrestling? Yeah, yeah. Oh man! So uh, the funny thing is, like you know, everybody goes to Blockbuster back in the day uh, to rent movies. <laughs> I went to go rent fucking uh, old Royal Rumble and uh, Summer Slams. <laughs> I would watch stuff like before. So like my favorite, my first favorite wrestler was Ultimate the Ultimate Warrior. Uh-huh. And I was a really big uh, Davy Boy Smith British Bulldog fan. And then my the guy I think was really who resonated the most was uh, Shawn Michaels. I was a big Shawn Michaels guy. Um, going back to when he was with Marty Jannetty. Um, oh, the Rockers. The Rockers. Dude. Uh, the Rockers. <laughs> yeah. Man. Like that was before I was born, but I, you know, I would watch the the tapes and, you know, when he put him through the glass at the barbershop and all that stuff. Like I, I you know, that's just to me, that sticks in my, in my mind. Um, <laughs> we, we played all the video games and we had all the little figures in the ring and, yeah, I was doing move. I had little cousins. I grew up a couple of uh, little cousins. You know, we had them. We were doing all the moves, suplexes, and everything on them. So I had to stop watching it. But those three were my favorite wrestlers, man. Uh, they, uh, I was really big into it. And then my dad, I around 11, 12 years old, was like, "Yeah, me and my brothers a year younger than me." He was like, "Yeah, you guys need to stop. Yeah, it's getting <laughs> a little out of hand." So, uh, but yeah, man, it, it was a big part of my childhood. I, uh, it's a joke actually. Every time I go back to Puerto Rico, my family, my grandmothers. They always ask, you still watch? You know, I used to call them chapas. I don't know why. <clears throat> I don't even know if that's a word. Um, but yeah, it's always a, it's always a thing. It was always a thing. I loved it back in the day. That uh, Shawn Michaels putting Marty Jannetty through the the window is epic. Only also because Bobby Heenan had a great call. I don't know if you remember. It's like, oh, did you see that? Jannetty tried to jump out the window. He tried to escape through the window yeah, after yeah, yeah. Michael <laughs> had put him through the window. But yeah. no, no, uh, no, yeah. Um, that 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 was funny stuff. For some reason, it's like still embedded, like my mind. I don't know why that that uh, that scene. Because it's the best. That's why. Uh, yeah, Jorge, we we want to. We can't thank you enough. Uh, for those of you, these articles are uh, subscribe to the LA Times. People, look, I I I got a subscription for a whole year, a dollar a week. I I think you guys can afford the dollar a week. Don't spend the money on the coffee. Spend it on on journalism. We need to support journalism you guys want these local teams held accountable 
we we need journalists and uh, Jorge is a great columnist and uh, we can't thank you enough for being so gracious to us and always putting up with our bullshit and coming on the show, man. Uh, you're, 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 you're the best. I think you've been on the show most of any of our recurring guests. So uh, thank you very much, Jorge. No, hey, no, I appreciate you guys having me on so much and it's great to come on and talk and it's chill vibe and I enjoy it, man. Thank you so much for having me. And there you have it. Thank you. Uh, Jorge, where can they follow you on the social media? Yeah, just uh, Jorge Castillo um, on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, that's, I'm not, I'm not, I don't tweet as much as I should, man. I, I need to get on Twitter more. I need to get on there and just like let it loose a little bit, but I, I don't do that enough. Uh, but yeah, Instagram and uh, Twitter, uh, Jorge Castillo. Hey, as my co-host Alonzo always says, you tweet the right amount because usually when you do tweet, you always come in with a zinger like the one you did the other day with the Dodgers playing mind games on the Rays. It, it really worked out well for them last night. Yeah, that, that, that was a Bill Belichick thing. You, you sound the guy, uh, you know, the Broncos practice player for you know, the week that you play the Broncos type of thing. So that, that, that was funny. There you go. Uh, so Jorge Castillo, check out his work at the LA Times. He's great. Uh, Jorge, thanks again for coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me. And a big thank you once again to Jorge Castillo. Um, Jorge is is a friend of the show, and uh, I, I can't – I've lost count how many times uh, he's been on the show, but he's always great when he comes on the show. He's He never holds back, and I, I think those articles, um, to me – more real representation of the business side of baseball. Uh, we, we talked about it. I think it's always hard, uh, especially with Justin Turner, because he meant so much to the team. But I think what Jorge said, and we didn't get a chance to get into it more in terms of the pursuit, the, the pursuit of Otani, right? But it seems like that Turner deal was set up, at least for what we like to hope for, that they're going to go after Otani. Is that how you take it, Babyface? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of been hinted at, right? Like all winter, right? Kind of Dodgers didn't do any any moves, nothing. And everything that they kind of did was kind of significant going forward. Though nothing's actually ever been said. But, like, you, you know that that is the plan. They don't have to say it. Nobody else has to say it. That's the plan. They're going all in on Otani next season. Whether they get him or not. Who knows? I mean, obviously, I think they have a great shot, and I think they think they have a great shot at getting him. And obviously, you know, going, you know, not wanting to give JT an extra year because they know that would tie up the DH spot. You know, going with JD Martinez one year, they know after this one year, that's it, and they can slot in Otani in their next year. You know, it's it's like you said, it's it's the business, and they they have it. You know. They're playing out, you know, season by season. But Dodgers know what's up. They know what's coming up next season, next offseason. They know what's coming up the following offseason. They have their plan going forward, you know. And, you know, we just got to let it play out now. You know, it's interesting because it's it's the emotional side of it, right? It's we love Justin Turner. Justin Turner is a Dodger. Justin Turner's always been, you know, a, a hero for the Dodgers, right? I mean, he had a pretty bad postseason, you know, last year. But for the most part, he was a postseason. He delivered in the postseason. He was a postseason performer. But if you look at his numbers now, okay, so he's hitting 267. He's got five home runs and 19 RBIs. Okay, that's what he's doing with the Medias Rojas. I think 
if he want if he would have accepted that one year deal, Justin Turner's with the Dodgers this year at, as the DH. But because yeah. he wanted, you know, more and and I can't blame him, right? You you want to get paid, especially it's to the end of your career. These are these are going to be the last big paychecks that you're going to get. So Jorge had mentioned it was basically a swap, Justin Turner for JD Martinez. So let's look at JD Martinez's numbers. JD Martinez is hitting 273. JD Martinez has nine home runs. JD Martinez has 31 RBIs. Um, JD Martinez's numbers are better than Justin Turner. And this is one of the things, again, that I kept, uh, that I was stressing with him. And, and that is the Dodgers win more deals than they lose. So as much as we hate it, like, ah, oh, this doesn't make why, why would you do this? Doesn't this kind of prove the Dodgers right in the sense of JD Martinez is more productive than Justin Turner and you don't have to deal with where we playing him. Yeah. And, and, you know, he mentioned it, you know, JD is a little bit younger, right. And you kind of knew what you were going to get with JD Martinez, right. You kind of knew he, he's going to hit, he's like one of the, he's, he's one of those hitters, right. He just, he hits right all the time. And, you know, he's got, he's showing the RBIs, you know, over 30 RBIs to this point, you know, through May. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, you can still feel it, right? You feel the void kind of with the, the leadership, but like, I mean, I don't think that's really affecting that much. Like when we were at the game the other day, right? And and they did the uh, the military hero of the game, right? And yeah, the, the veteran comes out and they recognize them, and then they walk off the field. And like you would like, that's where that's where JT would always be right there to meet him, right? And there's nobody now to do that, right? You know, that kind of sucks. You know, you kind of still wish that somebody maybe would take up that role and kind of go there and show them the support, right? Yeah, that's not, that's not happening, right? Because JT, you know, and it seems like JT's doing that in Boston, right? He took that over to Boston, and he, but he, again, you know, that comes down to the players, right? Like the players that are actually want to do that, you know, I, they can't just say, "Hey, uh, Max Muncy, we want you to do this now," right? It has to be, you know, from the player, right? The players got to want to to care about them, you know. We know that JT is a very community pro guy, right? And 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 you know, he has this foundation and very pro pro on that stuff, so. That's who JT was, you know, you know, but, but, you know, like you said, I mean, JD Martinez has been, you know, a great, a great, uh, I guess, fill in for that role. And, you know, he brought up Kenley Jansen. Let, let's look at what Kenley Jansen is doing right now. So his ERA is 3.68. I think that's, uh, that's a little high for a closer, right? He's got 10 saves. I would take Kenley Jansen in the Dodgers bullpen right now. Would you babyface? Yeah, I mean, see, the thing with Kenley is like, you know, it's kind of like, I guess people expected relievers to like always go out there, be lights out, and like, yeah. and never give up a run, and that's it, right? But that's not the case. That's never going to happen. Now, I guess, too, I guess with a, with a closer, though, like, yeah, you know, nine, time, nine times out of 10, you want them to save the game, right? And, right. you know, if you, if you start getting down, like, maybe seven out of 10, six out of 10, then that, obviously that's not a good closer. And I think that's maybe where where people were fearing with Kenley. It's like you never knew, kind of like, he might be good this one game, but the next game he's not. Yeah. And then he might be good for two games, and he's not. So that's kind of the fear with Kenley. But, but yeah, I mean, like, Dodgers don't technically have a closer. They've used Devin Phillips a bit as of late and you know i I think evan phillips is their closer yeah you know they're not they're they're not going to admit that but like if they don't have a reason like they use they use phillips in like the fifth the other day because they got into a hot situation 
Yeah, he's he's their guy that bails them out, you know. And if if, yeah. if the ninth if the ninth inning is going to have that the 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 heart of the order for the other team, you're going to see Phillips, and you're going to see Phillips whenever they're in trouble. So he's their main dude. So that's to me, he's their closer. I think what the Dodgers are trying to do is trying to erase the closer from Major League Baseball vocabulary, and then basically like what we're going to do, like. Jorge said it. I think the reason why Kenley is no longer a Dodger is because the Dodgers lost trust in him. The Dodgers could not trust him anymore. Therefore, they could not justify paying him what he wanted to be paid. To me, I agree with you. The person that they trust the most in that bullpen right now is Evan Phillips. So they're going to use Evan Phillips in the most crucial part of the game. And sometimes the most crucial part of the game is going to come in the fifth. Maybe it'll come in in the seventh, or they're going to come into the eighth. I'm curious if it's more of a it's more of a psychological move where if we don't clearly name someone as a closer, we don't have to worry about am I the closer? Who's the closer? Your job is just to get out and, and do that. I mean, because I do think it's interesting that they haven't named a closer. And I have a feeling they're going to go throughout the whole season without a closer and they're just going to play matchups. And I, I, if it works out, this is a copycat league. You're going to see other teams start doing the same thing. And I'm very curious to see what that's going to do to the closer. What is that going to do to the stat? I mean, we're talking now, you know, Craig Kimbrell recently reached the 400 saves club. We might not see anybody else get 400 saves if we're going to start going to bullpen by committee. So this, I think what the Dodgers are doing right now is going to be a real test because if they do have success, I do see other major league teams. And I think other major league teams have already tried this, but because the Dodgers have a higher profile and they copied them. I mean, is it a coincidence that the Boston Red Sox have signed so many former Dodgers? I mean, isn't it clear that the Red Sox are trying to follow the Dodgers model? Am I off base there, babyface? I mean, you know, obviously there's, there's, you know, Dodgers have set like a model. Like, I think too, it's just also, you know, when the Dodgers have won, right? Like what's kind of the first thing you see in the off season, right? A lot of their executives go to some other team, right? They Or guys from their front office get hired to go somewhere else, right? And now as players are moving along, it's like, well, these guys won, and they have a consistent track record. These guys have a winning formula of, of to play under. You know, hey, we like those guys on our team too, right? So that's kind of, I think, what we're seeing, you know, with the Red Sox. Like, hey, we could get JT here. We could get Kenley. We have Kike. We have Alex, you know, have Alex Verdugo that have played in that in that winning formula. Let's let's bring those guys over here and see what happens, right? I think kind of that's, that's kind of what we're seeing there. Yeah, and in regards to his piece on Manny Moda, I, I think it's a great piece. I, I still do believe that that guy has not gotten his due. Uh, you know, when it comes to the Dodgers, it's always like Valenzuela, Koufax. You know, there's certain guys that are clearly defined in Dodgers history. And I just never hear Modus spoken that, that in that same way. But if you look at his contributions uh, to this organization, I mean, he played a huge role. The Dodgers were the first ones to open a camp in the Dominican Republic. And Manny Moda played a huge part in that. And, you know, yeah, we may not see it now in terms of how many Dominican players are on the Dodgers, but the Dodgers played a huge 
role in that historically in the development of foreign baseball players. So I'm glad, and maybe I should just be like, Jorge, look, just be happy that he got the recognition. It just feels to me that, you know, whenever you talk the history of the Dodgers, I don't hear Manny Mota's name enough. Am I off base there, babyface? No, I don't think you're off base. I mean, I think, I think because part of it has to do with Manny when his time with the Dodgers, he was a pinch hitter, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, like I said, he was an extraordinary pinch hitter, right? You know, three oh four lifetime hitter, dude. That's insane. Yeah, to come off the bench, right, and and to go out there and get a hit or a key hit when when they need you to do it, yeah. you know, that's that's insane, right? And and I think that's. That's why Manny, you know, Manny Mudd wasn't one of those guys like that had those big moments like Kirk Gibson, right, or Fernando, right. He, you know, he was just one of those guys that just did his job. You know, he went out there and, and when asked to do his job, he went out there and he produced, and that that was Manny Mota. So I think that's why it kind of gets lost in there. But yeah, but he was huge. Manny Mota was a huge part of the 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 team, you know, and and what they've done outside of of baseball, right? You know, the stories that we hear about Manny Mota, like the type of person he is, it's like, it's crazy. To, and, you know, and I think that that's why we put him on our shirt, right? Our, our, legend, yeah. our, our Dodger shirt that we have, you know, he's, he's, he's on there as well. Yeah. Our Latino legends of Dodger baseball, which is available at the bleed Lows website. So you want any bleed Lows podcast merch, make sure you go to that website. Um, I, I want to wrap things up on this show only by saying this, uh, I was very curious on his bad bunny take, but I love the fact I love when when our guests <laughs> unveil their their love of wrestling. And I know that some people like poo-poo wrestling and don't think wrestling. Look, wrestling played a huge part in in people's lives, especially when they were younger, when they're kids. I think it's hilarious that his dad was like, You can't watch this shit anymore. And you know it was probably because Jorge ended up suplexing his brother through um, a coffee table or something and said, that's it. You guys aren't watching wrestling anymore. But I, I was in that memory. Do you remember when Shawn Michaels put Marty Jannetty through the window in the barbershop? Yeah, I, I remember that. It still doesn't beat the, uh, the Jimmy Snuka taking the, the coconut, the coconut to, the to the head from, from Roddy Piper. But yeah, that was, that was one of a, one of those memorable moments. Yes. We will always do wrestling talk on the bleed Lose podcast because we're making it cool once again to like wrestling. I feel like there was a period of time there where wrestling wasn't cool, but uh, we, we love living in nostalgia and talking about the old days. <laughs> so that's going to do it for this episode of the Bleed Lows podcast. Uh, make sure you guys are subscribed to our YouTube channel. Make sure you are subscribed to our podcast. Also, follow us on the social media. We're doing a giveaway. I don't think uh, we've announced yet the winner, but every once in a while, we do giveaways on social media where we give out gear or we give out bobbleheads. We give out stuff that. So you follow the Bleed Lows podcast on Twitter. Follow the Bleed Lows podcast on Instagram. That way you'll get the latest news on upcoming guests, some of the stuff that we're doing at the stadium covering this team. So subscribe. You have homework assignments this week, okay? Subscribe to the podcast, the audio format. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You are sido su servidor Juan Ramirez de parte de mi colega Babyface. Nos vemos para la próxima. This episode of the Bleed Lose Podcast has been brought to you by BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.